Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I'm Andrew Langer, coming in uh, live and hot on uh, WIBC. And for Tony Katz today, we got a great show coming up. I'm going to keep talking just in case uh, somebody can hear me out there. In any case, um, we got a great show today. And uh, we got uh, Bonner Cohen from the National Center for Public Policy Research joining us in just a few minutes. Eric Ruark from Numbers USA going to hip us all to what's going on with the president's visit to the border. Uh, uh, Ellie Gardy from the American Spectator going to join. Tim Lee from the Center for Individual Freedom as well going to join us. And Scott Shepard from the Free Enterprise Project. All of them going to join us today. Oh, Barry Hinckley, who's got some project called the Redeclaration of Independence as well. Oh, and a little-known figure you may be familiar with. Tony Katz going to join us uh, live from uh, Israel today on his trip. Yeah. Tony, as you know, is in Israel. I am here. I am in for him. As I said, I am Andrew Langer. You know, you can contact the show if you want. Uh, You can contact the show. uh, Well, you can contact me while I'm on the air. Facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. That's how you get a hold of me here. Uh, Then, of course, uh, you can also at me on Twitter, at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter. So go and check us out there as well. Always glad uh, to be joining you here with the show. And listen, I should have teed this up earlier, but, uh, you know, you're dealing with some technical issues behind the scenes. Um, I'll play some of this later on. I am coming fresh off of CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Uh, I'm now with CPAC. If you didn't know it, um, about, uh, uh, let's say, eight months ago, seven months ago, I came on board with the folks at CPAC to... um, I uh, uh, came on board with the folks at CPAC to um, uh, head up their new Center for Regulatory Freedom. Well, Carl, if you're there, this is good. Carl, if you can just get ready in a second for cut number one. Just let me know if you got it. I sent it over to you this morning. Uh, just I'll tee it up in a minute. Um, uh, so, yeah, so CPAC happened over the weekend. Tony uh, could not be there. Um, we're going to make sure that Tony and others are there next year. Going to do a little bit more. There are a number of talk radio folks who wanted to be there but couldn't for a whole host of reasons. Next year, we're going to make that happen. So anyway, I'm now on board with CPAC as director of their Center for Regulatory Freedom. And um, um, what that means is this is an effort to sort of push back, not sort of, to push back against the administrative state. And I've done breakout sessions in the past this year was the first year that i actually was on the main stage as clear as i can think about it by the way this was my we figured it out this i believe was my 20th cpac which i i'm sort of wrapping my head around even worse it was not my 20th cpac in a row i mean i've been going to cpac how many times can i say cpac i've been going to cpac probably since 2000 um, so 24 years ago, in that time, I've missed a handful here and there, but I think we figured out that it's uh, my 20th CPAC, first time on the main stage, and I did a panel on regulation and on healthcare uh, and on technology issues uh, with Steve Moore, who, as we all know, uh, uh, one of President Trump's major economics advisors, uh, with uh, former congressman from Georgia, Doug Collins. 
and with Brendan Carr, who was an FCC commissioner. And we talked about a number of different things. We talked about, what did we talk about? We talked about issues having to do with, um, uh, having to do with something called marching rights, which I'll get into more over the next couple of days. In fact, we may get Doug Collins to join us in the next couple of days to talk about that. A real dastardly situation happening with prescription drugs. Uh, we had Brendan Carr talking about uh, DEI and wokeism. And by the way, we got some great clips of, of Kamala Harris talking about DEI later on in the show, um, talking about uh, uh, things going on at the FCC. But we talked with Steve Moore about regulation and the economy. Here is uh, here is Steve Moore uh, uh, with a question from me. Cut number one. Regulation is a tax on the American economy. The increase in the inflation rate what, did not happen by accident. By the way, when Donald J. Trump left office in January of 2021, the inflation rate was 1.6%. Right. In 18 months, I don't know how he did this, in the 18 president. months... <laughs> Joe Biden took the inflation rate from 1.6 to 9.2 percent. How many? Do you think this is intentional? Like trying I, to screw I, the yes. economy up? Because if they were trying to, they couldn't do a better job. It's. I was just commenting today to somebody about what I call Hanlon's razor, not what I call Hanlon's razor, what Hanlon called Hanlon's razor, uh, which is this idea that uh, when you're trying to determine the culpability in a situation, never attribute to malice that which can just as easily be attributed to stupidity. So in the end, it really doesn't matter. Well, I guess it does matter if it was intentional or not that uh, that the economy is being toppled over. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it is a situation in which we, we may not know <laughs> if it was by design or, or just incompetence, probably a measure of both when it comes to the Biden administration, but the end result is still the same. Um, you know, and I spent a lot of time talking about, uh, the regulatory state now costing the American economy about $3 trillion annually. Donald Trump, when he was president, love him or hate him. Right. And, 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 and that's just it. You know, um, there are many things to like about President Trump. There are many things to not like about President Trump. The bottom line, though, is for the issues that matter to me, President Trump was good and bounds better. In fact, let me let me underscore something very early on in the show today, something you can take away uh, with your friends and family members who might be contemplating voting for somebody other than the Republican um, because they're angry at Donald Trump. The bottom line here is, and this is not the, uh, the, the statement um, uh, voting for the lesser of two evils. It is very simple and straightforward. The question is, substance matters. I'm not going to say that Donald Trump is a substantive person, but he governed in a substantive manner. His administration accomplished a great many things of a substantive nature. And so when you're making these choices, if Donald Trump delivered uh, or Donald Trump's administration delivered on the vast majority of the substantive issues that were important to you, then vote for Donald Trump because voting for Joe Biden is going to get you more of the same of what we have today. Now, what do I mean by that in terms of regulation? Again, to sort of tee it up early on for you. Donald Trump kept regulatory costs constant. Now, Steve Moore and I, you know, he, he is talking about the reducing the cost per family. I, I don't know what those numbers are. I'd, I'd have to go look. 
But when Donald Trump came into office, Barack Obama had essentially doubled the cost of the regulatory state in eight years. It went from uh, uh, $1.1 trillion when he took office to $2.2 trillion when he left office. Doubled the size. And what that means is it's, it's the, the, the fingers of government getting into everybody's business. All the, the little things and the big things the Obama administration did. Donald Trump came in, changed the posture of the regulatory state, and kept... Now, I would, I would submit that he didn't cut regulatory costs. And that's important. I'm sorry. He, he didn't cut that. He didn't reduce, reduce that two and a quarter trillion dollar number. And it's important because I believe that this regulatory glide path that is an important thing, right? If Donald Trump wins election next year and he just keeps regulatory cost later this year, and he just keeps regulatory costs constant, you know, if we don't grow the regulatory state between now and seven and, and uh, now and twenty thirty, our estimates, my estimates are that the regulatory state will cost the American economy $7 trillion if we, if we keep on the trajectory that we're on. Right now, it's $3 trillion. But, uh, Joe Biden and Team Biden has added about uh, three quarters of a, of, a, of a trillion dollars, of a trillion with a T, dollars to the regulatory state. If we keep on that trajectory, the regulatory state will cost us $7 trillion a year. It, which is a vast number to contemplate. You know, essentially double the size of the federal budget right now, a little less than double, given how much we've increased spending. If we keep it constant, if we manage to keep it constant between now and 2030, we can save the American economy a trillion, uh, $4 trillion in regulatory costs overall. And that's that. And that, anyway, not that I want to go all down the road in terms of numbers and opportunity costs and things like that. Anyway, that was my panel over the weekend at CPAC. Very excited. It was a great time. I'm sorry, Tony missed out. Of course, he's he's doing great work over in uh, uh, over in the Middle East now. He will be joining us at one o'clock. Joining us when we come back will be Eric. Uh, sorry, Bonner Cohen from the National Center for Public Policy Research to talk about some of these economic issues. I'm Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. We are back. I am Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz. While Tony Katz is overseas in Israel, he's going to be joining us in a little while. But joining us right now, my old buddy. And listen, you're talking about radio voices. This man has the voice for radio. His name is Bonner Cohen. He's a senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research. Good, good afternoon, Bonner. How are you doing, my friend? Good afternoon, Andrew. So I'm doing well, the, and I hope our listeners are too. The timber of that voice. Bonner, um, listen, I want to start here. You do great work on environmental issues. By the way, he's Dr. Bonner Cohen because he's got a, a PhD. Um, we're seeing that the uh, Biden administration may be pulling back on their EV sales mandate, right? How many vehicles need to be sold, uh, the percentage they're in. Is this a case that they're really pulling back, or is this a case in which the Biden administration laid out such an outrageous goal for trying to transform the transportation economy that any way that they pull back looks like they're uh, moderating their position? What are your thoughts here? I think they uh, are making a very slight bow to reality. Uh, they, as you correctly pointed out, set a goal uh, for the uh, sale of EVs to 
the American driving public that even they now realize they can't possibly reach. Yes. So what they're doing uh, is simply scaling back the rhetoric a little bit. But we have no indication whatsoever that the policies behind that rhetoric, namely uh, the uh, efforts by the Biden Environmental Protection Agency to essentially regulate gasoline-powered vehicles out of existence. They won't ban them, but they will regulate them out of existence. And once they are no longer there in sufficient numbers to reach public demand, the public is going to have no choice but to go where the public at this point demonstrably doesn't want to go, and that is to purchase EVs. Why? Because A, they can't afford them. B, the infrastructure for EVs is simply not in place, and we have no reason to believe it's going to be in place anytime soon. And C, the repair cost of EVs are right. absolutely enormous. So this is not an attractive option for the vast majority of the American driving public. You know, it's funny, Bonner, because I'm reminded of what I used to joke about with regards to the non-incandescent light bulbs. Now, listen, we all like, we're liking the LED bulbs more, but I remember when, you know, they they made this move down the road towards the the compact fluorescent bulb, which was a bulb that, that, you know, it, it emitted bad light. It could damage the skin. You couldn't throw them out. They could make you blind with the lack of decent light. I used to quip that if the devil wanted to invent a, a light bulb, he couldn't, he couldn't have done much worse than, the, uh, than the, uh, the compact fluorescent bulb. Is this another case of essentially a mandate for a, a car that is essentially from the devil? I, I mean, and look, guys, listen, I'm not making a religious argument here, but what I'm saying is a, a car, as you said, that's expensive to drive, that has these inherent risks, in them is expensive to buy you can't drive it when it's cold or if you live somewhere where it's cold i i mean this is this is nothing short of a form of insanity or is it bonner a way to also get people out of their cars and into cities and onto mass transit all right if you, if you look at the long-term goal of the environmental movement it is partly uh, the first thing you said but very specifically the second thing because what they're going to do is regulate gasoline-powered vehicles out of existence and replace them with EVs which nobody wants or can afford. So what are you going to do? You're going to ultimately have to move if this regime stays in place. You're going to have to go into compact cities, uh, move away from single-family fa- homes, which is also in the bullseye right. the environmental movement. Oh, yeah. Move into a high-rise condo building or something like that, which the government is also going to regulate with respect to the building materials, which have to be, quote-unquote, green, the emissions, and, and what have you. So that's the long-term strategy. All of this has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with saving the planet from man-made sure. global warming, but everything to do with control. Control exercised by the government. They make the choices, and we do as they say. Uh, my guest is Bonner Cohen. He's a senior fellow with the National Center for, for Public Policy Research. Bonner, before we talk about zoning, if we have time to do that, I want to ask you about this. Let's assume for a moment that they succeed and they ban cars using gasoline or diesel engines. We still need 
oil for a whole host of other things in order to survive on this planet. I, I mean, it seems to me one of the great things about the petrochemical industry is that you can take oil and there's really very little waste from the refining of that oil into the various things that they do. They use all the components. It's very much of a uh, of a snout to tail uh, a way of utilizing a resource. Talk about that. Uh, yes, you're quite right. Uh, oil, and for that matter, uh, natural gas, are both actually very uh, environmentally sound. Uh, there is remarkable little waste involved in e either project. And to use a fashionable term, the environmental footprint of oil and natural gas is decidedly smaller than that of the various green technologies that we are being spoon-fed or, for that matter, force-fed. Uh, that includes wind and solar panels, uh, which are largely controlled the raw materials that go into them uh, by the People's Republic of China, which has a stranglehold on the supply chain that go into both, just as the People's Republic of China has a stranglehold on the raw materials that go into EV batteries and other batteries used as backup for wind and solar power when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. So what in the world are we doing uh, enriching and empowering uh, our main geopolitical rival? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever when at the same time we are sitting on an abundant amount of oil and natural gas in this country, which is environmentally vastly superior uh, to the so-called green uh, energy sources that are being uh, imposed upon us, they are also much more reliable. And for the average American family, they're much more affordable. Well, listen, Bonner, how do folks find out more about the good work that you guys are doing at the National Center for Public Policy Research? Well, please check us out at our website, which is nationalcenter.org. I appreciate that. Uh, nationalcenter.org. Bonner Cohen, thank you so very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Andrew. I enjoy being here. I appreciate that. And, 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 and so I want to just gin on something because we've got, a, we've got a, a couple seconds left before we go to the break here. The one thing Bonner touched on was this issue. And we're we're going to get a guest on next week to talk about this because things are largely uh, shaping up the shows today and shows tomorrow. Because, yes, I'm back tomorrow. When Bonner says that the environmentalists are going after the local single-family home, he's not overstating the case. Like everything else, one of the things we're going to talk about uh, is the issue of the whole-of-government approach to ideology that this administration is engaged in. Uh, the idea uh, of using multiple targets, uh, multiple agencies, multiple efforts to go after the same ideological goal, whether or not it is uh, to reshape the economy, uh, the energy economy, the, the sector here, uh, whether it is to go after religious freedom, uh, whether it is to go after and try to get uh, price controls on drugs. And so one of the things in terms of this ideological goal that they're working on is the feds with their uh, their their colleagues in the environmental community 
are working overtime to change local zoning laws and to find ways to change local zoning laws, whether it is to get involved with the organizations that uh, that uh, create zoning laws or to uh, engage in environmental efforts and grant efforts. But the bottom line is they want you out of your homes in the suburbs and into the cities. Listen, when we return, we're going to be joined by Eric Ruark from Numbers USA. President Biden is uh, visiting the border folks are very very unhappy about that you can get a hold of me at andrew underscore langer on twitter facebook.com slash andrew langer show this is tony katz today well welcome back everybody i am andrew langer in for tony katz right here on tony katz today you can join the conversation facebook.com slash andrew langer show is how you text me while i'm on the air you can also at me on the twitter machine i know they call it x i don't call it x i'm old school i'm a boomer they call i call i still call it twitter so you can you can message me there uh i am uh, joined right now very excited about this the the president is finally visiting the border. He claims that there's he's had no impact. He's just fixing the mess that was left at the border by the Trump administration. Joining me right now to break down whether or not that's true is Eric Ruark from Members USA. Eric, is this true? Is this all President Trump's fault that we have this border crisis? Well, that seems to be the argument President Biden uh, is sticking to. I don't know how well he's going to sell it, but as far as it being having any relation to the truth, no, it isn't. And, you know, I've made this point with others. The people, even people who don't like Trump would never vote for Trump, think he's the worst thing that ever happened to this country. Some of the reasons that they don't like him, one of the reasons is because they think he was too tough on illegal immigration, right? I I, I seem Uh, to remember this. So even people who aren't going to vote for Trump, I don't think are going to buy President Biden's argument because, you know, it clearly, you know, there's no comparison. The border wasn't secure in the sense that no one was getting over. But when you look at comparison between when President Trump left office and when President Biden came in office, promising to undo the things that Trump uh, had put in place, which he did on day one, the the only thing you compare what we're looking at now as far as month to month are previous months of the Biden administration. And what they're bragging about is that we're not setting a record this month for all time uh, apprehensions at the border. And that that's really what they're bragging about. It's not as bad as it was last month. But it's not President Trump's. You you, you can like or dislike President Trump. But what's happening at the border is not his fault. In fact, Carl, can you do me a favor? Carl, can you tee up cl- cut number five um, and, and get that on? I'll let you know when to, pl- when to play it. Uh, Eric, this is um, uh, Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, on MSNBC in September 2021, uh, essentially admitting that they had fundamentally changed uh, Trump's border policies. Uh, Carl, go ahead and play that. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump-era immigration policies have been banned, ended, reversed and if any investigations are underway by you uh, so we have rescinded so many uh trump immigration policies it would take so much time to list them so, so there you go i mean eric what are your thoughts on this mallorca said this in 2021 and here we are and yet somehow this is donald trump's fault I, explain this to all of us well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I mean, he's, right. and this is the man who's also repeatedly said that the border was secure while everyone is looking at it and, and understanding that it isn't. And, and, you know, that's for us, Numbers USA, you know, we're the policy guys. So we're, we're, we see what they're doing. And when they came in and just basically opened the border up, 
we thought they can't keep this up, right? Because the blowback, the political blowback is going to be so great. And of course it was, but it took them three years to even pretend to take it seriously. And it was only a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, that President Biden actually said, well, there is a problem at the border. It's not my fault. And Congress needs to act. And if they don't act, you know, things are going to fall apart. And so he's blaming Congress for failing to act when he has the powers and the authority and the resources to do something about it. But the failure in the Senate of the Senate bill, which was a terrible bill, right? again, that became Donald Trump's fault, as opposed to it was a terrible bill. And there was a good bill that's already passed the House, H.R. 2, Secure the Border Act. And, you know, that sort of has become irrelevant, right, to the conversation. Sure. It's either if, the, if Congress won't give me the president, if they won't change the law in the way that I want them to do, I'm just going to do what I want anyway. And that's what we're seeing. And so this is. I can say, I'm not sure he can sell that, but that's going to be really the big question. And it's amazing when you think about it, that we're having a rematch between Trump and Biden. And the number one issue is going to be immigration, particularly illegal immigration. And that's going to be a wild ride, I think. It's interesting because you are seeing uh, among certain Democrat elected officials, and I'm looking at Eric Adams as one up in New York, uh, starting to realize that there has been some uh, a, a major mistake has been made with regards to this. I actually got to do it with a, a host on a radio show that I was on a guest on today who claimed that we don't have open borders. I, I fail to see how you could claim that we don't have open borders right now. They look pretty open to me. But but the one of the problems Biden is running into is pushback from his own party, especially, you know, Democrat leaders who are having to deal with this. Talk about what's going on up in New York. Well, I just to your point about open borders, it's true. Yeah. Not every single person is getting in. But right. according to Secretary Mayorkas, over 85 percent of them are. And so, I mean, you can quibble with that. But I think most people would say the borders are pretty open, pretty wide open. Um, but th- and this is the challenge to get to your point about Mayor Adams. And this is happening in other places. Chicago. We're seeing what happened in Georgia with that tragedy there. Yes. Uh, but but it's, it's hugely important because Mayor Adams, who who has been staunchly supportive of the sanctuary policies there until very recently when they, you know, the, the, it's a one thing to say you support sanctuary cities, but when the effects are so profound and, and, the, and the amount of illegal immigration has increased so much under Biden that they simply cannot house these people and, and, and they don't know who they are. There's crimes that are being committed and not everyone showing up in, in New York who's an illegal alien is committing crimes. But a lot of people are committing crimes because anyone, whether you want to get a job, or whether you want to, you're a member of a criminal gang, you're getting in the same way. And Mayor Adams is saying, let's revisit this sanctuary policy. And, and it's good that we're seeing this because it's putting pressure on the president and, and members of Congress to do something. But really what Mayor Adams is saying is, you know, if, a, if someone who's here illegally commits a serious crime, we'll turn them over to ICE right, right after they commit the crime, right? So, so he's not saying let's deal with people here who are illegal – by whether they commit a, 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 a not, you know, don't attack someone or, or kill someone. If they're here illegally, that's grounds for turning them over to ICE. They get a traffic ticket or shoplifting or whatever it is. And so this is what we've seen from federal government, too. People who are being removed from the country are being removed only after they've committed a serious crime, and even not then. And and they're being let go. And and that's why, you know, when we see what happened in Georgia and other places where, where I live, there was a two-month-old who was caught in crossfire. From wow. MS-13 gang shootout, and the tragedy—you know—tragedies are going to happen. 
but when they're preventable, right? And the government has had these people in custody and has released them back onto the streets. That's what makes these things so heartbreaking. Well, I, I want to get into this because you, as you said, by the way, we're talking with Eric Ruark from uh, Numbers USA. You guys are the policy people on these things. Uh, we did a panel at CPAC over the weekend with uh, with uh, Congressman Doug Collins from Georgia, former congressman from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Right. And he he has a really interesting posit, um, which is that we, we spend a lot of time talking about Democrats pushing these policies because they want to increase their voting base. And and Congressman Collins says, yeah, that's true, but it's not the whole truth. What it really is, when you bring in 10, 20, 30, 40 million new people, you have to expand the size and scope of government to to deal with that, to, to service that population. This is really about expanding government. Uh, uh, th- that's why the Democrats are in favor of this. Where do you come down on this or does it matter if it's voters or not? It's just it's a problem in the end. Well, most recent immigrants, you know, people who are citizens and have the right to vote, tend to vote for uh, Democrats in the first generation. Yeah. Uh, that's true. You know, and, it, and that changes over time, but it takes a long time before they, they stop voting Democrat, them the children or grandchildren. But it's also important to note that the size of the state's population determines how many seats, you know, representation in Congress and the House, and also the way federal funds are allocated. So it doesn't matter whether a resident of the state is a U.S. citizen or non-U.S. citizen or even a legal resident. They're still counted in the census. And that's, I think, a very important thing to consider is that uh, go- governmental power from a state is increased the larger the population is, no matter how that population grows. And the way that federal funds are sent from D.C. to the states also is dependent upon the size of the state. But also we need to look at the Democratic Party, which we traditionally think of as the party of working Americans, that's no longer the case. And that hasn't been the case, I, I would say, probably since Bill Clinton. And so not only is it growing the size of, of power of states who have these large populations, it's also the fact that the Democrats are beholden to the, the business lobby in D.C. who are right. clamoring for cheaper workers. And, and that's the reality. And I'm, that's not saying the Republican Party is a working class party, but we're seeing a shift within the Republican Party, where they're starting to make those arguments. And I think and Trump is a good example where he got working class voters. There's a shift going on and, and how that's going to play out in the next election, I think, is really going to determine the outcome. So the president goes down to the border. Do you expect anything other than platitudes and, and uh, shade thrown at Donald Trump or is something substantive going to happen here? I think President Biden's going to say, you know, Trump's this is Trump's fault. Uh, and people are going to, you know, whether what, you know, in the media, whether or not you're, you know, you're in the camp, Biden camp, depends on how you're going to report on that. I think the real, what we really want to look at is Trump's messaging, because what we're seeing in Congress and also what we're seeing at the policy level, everyone knows that Trump was tough on illegal immigration. What he needs to communicate is what will he put in place in a second term if he wins a second term, uh, not only at, at the executive level, because that's the problem. He put something in place. Biden came in and undid it. The next president can do right. something else. We need permanent fixes, and you have to be able to work with Congress. And and I I, that, I think for, for President Trump, what he his platform that he offers, here's what I want to do as far as legislatively, and here's how I'm going to get it done. I think that's the challenge for President Trump, not uh, you know convincing people he's tougher, but convincing them that he has a plan of action and he can implement. Eric Ruark, how do folks find out more about the good work you guys are doing at Numbers USA? NumbersUSA.com. Go and check it out. Eric Roark, thank you so very much for joining us today.
Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. So uh, when we return, we're going to be uh, talking more about this immigration issue. i got some great clips to play. Uh, Cringe Jean-Pierre talking about the, the president going down to the border. I'm Andrew Langer. This is Tony Katz Today. No, we don't fear the Reaper here on Tony Katz Today. I'm Andrew Langer. I'm in for Tony uh, uh, today and through next week. So glad uh, I can join you all on this quest. Tony's going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes here. Following on the heels of Eric Ruark uh, being on with us uh, from Numbers USA, I, I want to play this. Uh, this. It really is a form of gaslighting what this administration is doing vis-a-vis uh, -vis not accepting culpability for their own policy decision-making. Uh, here is this morning, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House spokeswoman, uh, was on, as I said, CNN. Uh, here she is talking about uh, Biden's trip to the border. Let's play number two. The American people are going to hear directly from President Biden today about what he has done to continue moving forward in dealing with this issue and how Republicans have gotten in the way. No. <laughs> Here's the thing. We didn't get into this with Eric Ruark. Um, a little bit. I mean, Eric, Eric kind of teased this up, which is to say that one of, the, one of the few powers that the executive branch has delegated to it is national defense. And the president has all kinds of powers that Congress has uh, created by statute uh, to give the president power to deal with securing the border. And so the buck stops with him. As we said, you know something, once again, let's, let's play cut number five to hear what Mayorkas had to say in 2021. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump era immigration policies have been banned ended, reversed, and if any investigations are underway by you. Uh, so we have rescinded so many uh, Trump immigration policies, it would take so much time to list them. Yeah, I, yes, this is what they did. They came in. The, but Donald Trump was a big old meanie towards, uh, towards uh, migrants, uh, especially those migrating here illegally. He was just a big old meanie, and we needed to deal with it. So there are too many Trump-era policies that we rescinded. Rescinded. This is what he said, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Too many to count, too many to list here. Uh, and, and yet, uh, and yet, Donald Trump and the Republicans are the ones standing in the way uh, of this of this crisis. And of course, if the press were meaningful, they would press her on this. Now, one of the things that Eric mentioned was this situation down in Georgia. The student, Lakin Riley, who was killed by an illegal immigrant uh, uh, last week, um, and and so Corinne Jean Pierre was asked about this as well. Let's play cut number three. One of the things that that some Americans are focused on are crimes that are allegedly being committed by migrants who are in the country illegally. There was the death of Lake and Riley in Georgia. There's been an arrest made there. Republicans are directly blaming President Biden for this. Uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley said, quote, these deaths are on him. What's the White House response to that? So first of all, I want to offer uh, our condolences to the family uh, of Lake. And I mean, this is a horrific, horrific loss for any family. And obviously, uh, any if whoever is found guilty, uh, we need to make sure that uh, make sure that that happens. And obviously, uh, we don't want to uh, we don't want to see uh, anything happen like that again. But here's the thing: we have done the work. 
uh, to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. The Republicans have gotten in the way. I mean, that's just first of all, we've got to make sure once he's found guilty, we need to make sure that happens. I don't even know what that means. I mean, that's just that's just that's just gobbledygook. That's just that's just word salad. But the reality is that before Joe Biden took office, we had the border under relative control. Eric Rourke is correct. You know, people would get through. Um, and, and this myth that they're saying uh, that uh, that uh, uh, the border is not open because they're catching 15 percent uh, and sending back 15 percent of the folks who are migrating. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he said 50. Maybe it was 20 percent. Uh, no, it was 15. He said 85 percent of the folks coming over are being allowed to stay. That's millions of people. And it's just a numbers game, right? I mean, this is the thing that 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 bothers me about what Cringe Jean-Pierre is saying is that in the end, you know, it is it, it, she's right there are, there are tragedies and there's always going to be crime that occurs, but you know something when you let in 10, 20, 30, 40 million new people into the country illegally and they're not vetted and we don't know who they are, we don't know what their backgrounds are, the numbers of crimes are going to go up. Maybe not as a proportion, but let's just say the numbers are going to, the sheer numbers themselves are going to go up. And the severity, it's just a, a matter of, of playing the odds. The severity of those crimes is going to be more and more horrific. That's a problem. Listen, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm biased on all this. I, I watched, uh, I, I watched um, 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 oh, good Lord, um, oh, not, not Scirocco. Um, oh, good Lord, the, the Josh Brolin movie. Uh, I watched Day of the Soldado yesterday, and uh, Sicario. Sicario that was the first one, and then Sicario 2, The Day of the Soldado. So it's all, all very, very fresh in my mind about dealing with these issues and the horrific nature of the crimes. Listen, when we return... After the 1 p.m. news, going to be joined by our good friend and host of this show, Tony Katz, coming to you live from Israel. So very glad he's joining us. Ellie Gardy from the American Spectator as well. Tim Lee from the Center for Individual Freedom. You want to drop me a note while I'm on the air, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show or at Andrew underscore Langer on X. This is, of course, Tony Katz today. <laughs> 